everyone. I'm Jed Lewin. John Antretter. And welcome to the first episode of City Views with Jed and John. So tell you a little bit about ourselves, tell you a little bit about who we are and why we're doing this show. Um, but first, a cheers, a toast. Cheers, Jed. To our first episode. Many more. Well, it's really nice. This is the uh, Centauri World Whiskey. Really nice. So who are we? What are we doing here? Um, we're two successful real estate agents in Manhattan, and we're going to discuss current trends and hot button issues. We're not going to bore you with educational stuff. This is not that kind of show. We don't care what the difference between a co-op and a condo is. Um, but we are going to tell you some funny stories about working with our clients, um, other brokers, some celebrities, and just the daily absurdities of working in real estate here in New York City. A lot of that, for sure. A lot of that, right? So this is the greatest city in the world. People from come, come from all over the globe wanting to live here. It's many people's dream of always living here. Uh, and we help them, we guide them, and typically we amuse them, right? I think it's a fun job. I have fun doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, why would we do it? I mean, some people do it just for the living. But I think you got to enjoy what you're doing. Completely agree. Completely agree. There's lots of jobs out there. This is something you can actually really sink your teeth into. To be successful, too, you have to actually enjoy it, I think. If you don't enjoy it, I think you're going to be an agent that fails. And there are a lot of those out there, too. Yeah, that raises like an interesting point. I, I come across brokers all the time who are sort of part-time or who say, oh, I got into real estate because it's so flexible. There's nothing do you, do I you hate find more, it flexible? Nothing I hate more than an agent that has like multiple careers going at the same time. It's like focus on one thing and be successful at it. Uh, a lot are just, I think, looking for a quick way to make a few dollars and then find an easy exit from it because it's a high-pressure job, which is quite stressful for many. Um, and a lot of people just can't handle that. But isn't the impression that it's it's basically a simple job? You show up, you do it, you get your check, and then you still have time to audition. You still have time to be an artist. You still have time to pursue your passion and something else. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say it's probably some stat out there. It's probably 75% of agents are part-time actors. And I think that they can be quite successful once they give up the acting and decide to become a full-time broker. Um, because I think to a degree, we have to play into our clients' needs and wants and sometimes adapt with the client as well. So that's where the acting could probably help. But if you're trying to be an actor and an agent, I don't think you're going to make it work. I completely agree. Completely agree. This has to be your career. You have to be single-minded at focus. Um, and it's really valuable to have sort of a diverse background before getting into real estate. Yeah, it's a I lot of people's agree. second careers, a lot of people's third careers, which brings us to who are we yeah. and how did we get here? How are we successful? So want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm 32 years old, which I know we'll, we'll talk about a little bit further, but this was my second career. I graduated from Fordham University in 2012, and from there I went to work for Barclays for about three years. Uh, on my 25th birthday, I quit, and I said, okay, I'm going to go into real estate. I have a family background in commercial real estate based on Long Island and Florida, so I always had an interest there, and as a hobby, I followed the New York City real estate market quite closely. I was, you know, doing property searches for myself late at night, and I realized, what do I want to do with my life, and how am I going to make money? And that's why I thought, okay, why don't I turn this hobby of looking but at listings? You, you were working at Barclays, and you were trying to figure out how do I make money. Well, yeah, at the time, I was, I was, I was in a transition where I'm trying to find either some other job that interests me, or it was, you know, do I want to be like 
a trader and go that route? Do I want to focus on a new element within a banking industry or do I want to switch and go more on the entrepreneurial route? My family is a bunch of entrepreneurs, so I thought I would go more entrepreneurial. And that's where I think selling real estate is the perfect kind of segue because we are independent contractors. We're our own bosses. You know, we work within a firm as agents, but we run our own book of business. And so it gives you the flexibility of doing whatever you actually want to do and working as hard as you want to hard, uh, as, as hard as you want to work. Um, and I think that the aspect of not having a standard income is what really drives me. I like to be able to not only do well, I want to exceed my goals each year. And well, it's incredibly motivating to have to earn what you yeah. What you take on. I mean, it would be embarrassing for me to go to someone and be like, oh, can I borrow money? That would kill me. I mean, I would I would say the motivation to not only provide for yourself, but I like to live a really nice life. And I like to be able to afford nice trips, nice vacations, great watches, you know. And I would never want to say to someone, oh, God, like, I can't do what I want. So that's what drives me every day. That's great. Um, I had sort of a similar revelation. Um, I took a little bit of a longer route into real estate. I went to law school. I practiced law for many years here in the city. I was a commercial litigator. And during the financial crisis of 08, 09, um, it was such a stressful time at my firm that I just said, I looked at the partners and I said, if, you know, if becoming one of these guys is my goal, I need a new goal. I need a new goal right now. Um, so I went to corporate world. I joined Bloomberg LP. I was there for many years. And when I was turning 42, and about to have my first child, I decided to leave Bloomberg. And rather than just get another job, I got into real estate. And I can't tell you, you know, what you said about being motivating to work for yourself. There is nothing more motivating than not having a paycheck and not having benefits when you are newly married and have a child on the way. Oh, sure. It's, uh, it's incredibly motivating and it's incredibly rewarding to be able to provide based on what we do. Yeah. And, and there's a direct correlation between output and input, unlike any corporate job I ever had or any law firm job I ever had, where it didn't really matter how good you were, you were getting the same amount of money plus 3% next year. Yeah. And in this, you make whatever you are capable of making. Yeah, I think that, especially for a, a father like yourself, it gives you also the flexibility of, you know, let's say you want to go to your kid's baseball game or something like that. Like you can book showings around your schedule, which... I think gives people a luxury, but when you're starting out, you might not have that luxury of, of booking around the things that you enjoy, but you're a successful agent now and you have also a team member. So you have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to go to my kids, you know, play or go to their baseball game and not have to worry too much. That's right. That's absolutely right. So, um, but it takes a lot to get to that place too. It does. I think when we started out, it's probably a little bit more do whatever the client wants. It does. And, I think you still need to keep that mentality. We are in a client service industry. We, we work for clients. I mean, and we provide service or the clients don't work with us. So while, while we can be flexible and set showing times and that sort of thing, when a client wants to see a property at eight o'clock in the morning in Soho, um, guess what? We we're, do we're making that happen. Oh yeah. Um, if it's eight o'clock at night, if it's eight o'clock in the morning, if it's a Saturday or Sunday, if you want to provide the highest possible level of service to your client, and we do, um, you need to be able to do that. Well, I think that also sets us apart from a lot of brokers, especially because we're both in the industry now for, I think, around like seven and a half, eight years. Um, 
that is seasoned, but it's not like one of these older agents that's been around for 25, 30 years where these people have a mentality of, oh, well, I don't work on, let's say, Saturdays or I don't work, you know, past 6 p.m. And that's where we come into play. And it's like, no, we'll accommodate our client's schedules. I mean, I've right. literally changed flights to meet a client. I've come home early from a, a three-day trip so that I could take a client out. And I mean, when you do those things, it's obviously, hopefully there's a big reward at the end. But it doesn't always happen. But it's worth taking that risk, in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned um, these old school agents. I just got off the phone about half an hour before we started filming. I got off the phone with one of these old timey agents on this ridiculous deal we're doing. And she gave me, how long have you been in the industry? One of these like, darling, I've been doing this for 35 years kind of characters. I've, I've got a word for agents like that. She's a fossil. You know, she's one of these ladies that probably has been in the industry for so long and she thinks that her word is as good as God's. But at the end of the day, she hasn't adapted to the times and she's the kind of person that is probably best off, you know, referring her business to another agent and you know, taking the time. We, off. We've been doing it my way since the Truman administration. I don't see any reason to start something different yeah, right now. Guess, guess what, honey? It's, it's a different time. <laughs> um, I, I love I love the, uh, the, the casual put down you, you threw in. Um, well, if they're going to put you down, you got to give a little subtle dig back is the way that I like to do it. It shouldn't be yeah. right in your face. But, you know, I think that it's important to stand your ground and show, oh, I'm not going to be just passive and take it from you. Especially, you know, I'm 32. Of course, I get this. You know, you got a bit, of, I'm a bit of a baby bit, face, bit, bit of a baby face. I'm young, you know, looking and um, people think that sometimes, you know, this could be your first you know, year in the business. So we're going to walk all over him. And it's like, you know, my perfect response to that is, you know, I'll just say, well, you know, I'll bring up my recent transactions or my transaction volume and say, you know, I've looked at yours and I seem to be doing better than you. So maybe you should start adapting to my ways instead of the I mean, You've done a huge volume of business. So I'm sure that helps. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that I think being successful at what you do helps to build assurance that you're working with someone who is, you know, able to get the job done. Uh, some of my clients are, are, are quite surprised and impressed with where I've, you know, built my business to at a younger age. Um, I mean, I say the sky's the limit because I keep saying whatever I'm doing now is not good enough. So uh, it definitely comes into play. But I think it's just all about being knowledgeable about the markets that we work in. I, in particular, like my biggest thing is knowing inventory like the back of my hand. You know, I study inventory all day long. Whenever I have breaks in between client meetings, I'm looking at new inventory. So I'm the most updated on what's new to market and making sure that my clients get it from me before their Internet searches pop up on their own. I think it's incredibly valuable um, being the, the first to present something rather than passively waiting for a client to send you something saying, hey, I'm interested in seeing this. This just came on. Yeah. And look, that's going to happen, too. But, you know, we don't just provide value to our clients by sending them listings. Right. It's about also getting the job done, getting them the best price possible. And sometimes it's just making sure that the first person through the door. When I find a unique property that I think it is going to be the one for my client, I say to them, hey, we have to see this today. And this is going to be the property you buy. And I have a pretty good track record of picking that out. Um, it just depends sometimes whether the client's prepared to pay that amount of money for what we're looking at. And if it's something where I think it's the perfect one, I try and not price them out of that property by sending them something that's going to be over their budget, unless I know that they can afford it and what their expectations are um, price-wise may not meet what today's market is showing. That's an interesting point. So you send listings that are priced above what they say, this is our budget, don't sell us 
I mean, it, it'll that. depend on the client, especially if I know what they do. I know how much they can make and I know what they can afford. And if they tell me their budget is X, but I know what they need is Y, I have no problem sending them what they really want. And then it can bring a conversation. If you can't afford to pay for this in the neighborhood that you want, let's change course and go to a different neighborhood where you can't afford this kind of property, or let's figure out a way to do it. Um, so talking about neighborhoods. And we can't tell our clients, okay, like make more money, but sometimes well, you can hint it. It's funny because I actually say that all the time. <laughs> I say it to clients all the time, always with a, a smile on my face. But have you ever just considered making more money? I did tell a client to pick up another job once. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little more direct. But That's a little to more be direct. honest, they, they were more of a consulting role and they had more time to pick up an extra job or two. And you thought they were being lazy. financially lazy. They were writing a book, so <laughs> took, they needed extra time. Um, I work with a lot of authors. It's funny you say that. Um, I was just having drinks last week with an incredibly successful author, New York Times number one bestseller multiple times. And it's the opposite of lazy. To be successful in that industry, you need to be so regimented every single day from 8 to 11, you're writing. Whether it's flowing or not, you're sitting at your desk. And um, to be disciplined, to be, I think to be successful in anything, really, you need to have that level of discipline. Yeah, no, that, I, I agree with that completely. And if you're not making any money, Go chances, get another job. chances are you're not disciplined. <laughs> so you're not disciplined. You think it's, I, I became a writer to be flexible. I got into real estate to, to Well, that's time every, to everyone auditions. thinks you get into real estate to be flexible in the right. flexible schedule, but. Right. Um, so speaking of neighborhoods and sort of changing the direction of where your clients are searching, what they're looking for doesn't exist in the neighborhood they're, they're particularly keen on. And I can't tell you, I mean, you know, every buyer will tell you, yeah, I want to be within, you know, from 77th street to 81st street between Amsterdam and Columbus. And, you know, don't show me anything on 83rd street. Oh yeah. And it, the hyper specificity of people's searches is always surprising to me. Absolutely. Um, but what neighborhood would you say is offering the best value right now? If you have like, say a buyer who's looking for a, a two bedroom, two bathroom in good condition with a doorman and their budget is 1.5 million, where are you taking them? I mean, I think that, that the best options are going to be located on the Upper East Side. You know, that's where you have the doorman, you get the amenities, you get um, a little bit more square footage and you get more inventory. Um, compared to the Upper West Side, where one and a half million for a two bath, two bath, there's going to be stuff out there, but it's going to be a lot more competitive. You're going to have a lot more buyers for that apartment. It could go over 1.5, um, or the maintenance could be significantly higher too. That's right. Buildings on the West Side are typically smaller. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot less Upper West Side than there is Upper East Side because the distance from Central Park to Riverside is a lot shorter than the distance from Central Park, Fifth Avenue to. East end, yeah, right. There's just a lot more real estate in real estate. Um, so you think Upper East Side is the best value? Yeah, I mean, I live on the Upper East Side. I think that there's a lot of great opportunity on the Upper East. We have everything that you could possibly need within a short walking distance of almost any building you live in. Um, you know, whether it's coffee shops, grocery stores, pharmacies, restaurants, bars, we have it all. You know, massage places, manicurists, they're all dry cleaners. They're all within pretty much a three block radius of almost anywhere you go. So I think that for convenience, the Upper East Side is where I love to live. And not only that, we have now two different kinds of subway lines. We've got the 456, we've got the Q train. So it's easy to go from Uptown to Union Square from, from where I live on 72nd. 
I can get down here on 12th street in a matter of 18 minutes, you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty good for a working commute. Um, I too live on 72nd, but on the West side. Yeah. So for me to have the two, three right on the corner, essentially, uh, I'm also here in about 18 minutes. I love the West side. Um, I love working with buyers on the Upper East. I love working with buyers and sellers on the Upper West. Um, that's really where I spend the majority of my time is Upper East and Upper West, but also Greenwich Village and Flatiron, Nomad, Gramercy. Um, but I love the Upper West Side. Um, and it's a very particular difference between the two types of buyers, right? I think People, it's a little more casual on the Upper West Side. Yeah. I think it's a little more casual, a little more family-oriented. Um, it's, it's a very different vibe. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, I have clients that like both. I just sold something on um, West End and 70th Street. And it was a, a great oversized one bedroom. And I was impressed because of four new listings that I launched in the market, that was the first one to go. There's definitely oh. a specific buyer that doesn't want to leave a certain area of the Upper West Side. And this was somebody who lived one block away across the street in the same building complex that bought yeah. it. Um, and almost all of our buyers came within a very short distance of this property. Um, I mean, my clients lived there for seven years and then they ended up buying the same building. So it shows that there's a lot of loyalty on the Upper West Side. And I don't think you're ever going to yeah. get someone to cross the park either. I don't think if you're an Upper West Side, you're going to go to the Upper East Side unless yeah. you're going to get I think that's right. a lot more square footage. But in fairness, it's every neighborhood is hyper-specific and hyper-local. That's right. For most people, most people think of the city as this like teeming metropolis of 8 million people. But you see the same 40 people every day, every couple of days. Yeah, I run into the you, same clients in my neighborhood exactly. all the time. It's it's like each neighborhood is just the biggest small town in the world. And you see the same people over and over again. Every neighborhood has its neighborhood feel. You see the same people going to the coffee shop. You see the same people going to the restaurant, the kid-friendly restaurant, the grown-up friendly restaurant. It's over and over again because it's so hyper-specific and hyper-local. Yeah, no, so I agree I think that's. And you'll get true. tired of your local spots too. That's when you'll, you'll cross the park. You'll go downtown. I mean, I think that's one of the nice parts about living uptown is it's so convenient to get downtown as well. So we can leave our neighborhoods, go downtown for a good meal, and then you come home and, you know, some people say uptown's a little quieter uh, and you get the peace and quiet of living, you know, upper east or upper west for your matter. But you can go downtown and enjoy a great meal at some hot spot that you're not going to get in our neighborhoods. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, a little cleaner up where we live though, but yeah. So you're busy with buyers. Is this a good time to buy? I, I think it's a great time to buy because sellers, and I'm busy with sellers as well, I think that sellers are wanting the buyers to come and make offers and the buyers have more options today than they've had a few months ago. If we were talking back in February, I would say that the market has shifted to a level where we're going to be surprised to see data coming out in you know, May and June showing that we have shifted into more of a seller's market again from buyers. But after the little banking crisis that happened, I think it's it stayed pretty stagnant and it's yep. definitely an advantage to the buyer right now. Um, are you seeing bidding wars? I, I mean, I had a bidding war on that Upper West Side listing. So, yeah, I think that. And I had another bidding war on Monday with a, a couple that I've been working with for a couple of months. So it really depends, too, on where the clients want to go. Yeah. And, you know, this is purely anecdotal, um, but I just took a client to see a really magnificent apartment in Soho on Thursday. Um, it's been on the market for some time. It's a very expensive property. It's very beautifully renovated. It has some celebrity cachet, but it's been sitting there for a long time. Um, and since we saw it on Thursday, there's another offer. There's um, 
an expected other offer. So, you know, had we brought this buyer two weeks ago, it would have been a clear playing field. But now, as the banking crisis has sort of drifted into recent memory, as the holidays are over, as um, spring break is over, as people are really gearing up towards the spring season before heading out of town for the summer, there's a lot of activity in the market right now. Well, you're right. I think that the one thing is some buyers are taking advantage and saying, oh, well, I have the luxury of time right now because they feel like they are in a better position today. And yet that time can change real quickly. Absolutely. I mean, the bidding war that I mentioned getting into on Monday was in a property that has been on and off the market for like three weeks right now. You know, they've actually, sorry, apologies, nine months on and off. They And then they came back on about three weeks ago. And that property was stale. It was stagnant. Um, it's in a weird building, but it was the right size for my clients. And we got a call last night saying, hey, Offer 2 is willing to get the deal done without doing any due diligence. So, you know, if your clients want to get it done, they're going to have to do the same thing. And my client said, you know what? We're not prepared to do that. So we walked away. Do you ever encourage a buyer to waive their due diligence? Yes. And I, I've done it three times this year. But those have been buyers with the specific reason, whether they've already um, lived in the building. So two of those scenarios, they lived in the same building. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of a way to get away with it you know, winning a bidding war, both yep. of them were bidding war situations. That's the only reason why I would ever recommend it. And I said to them, you know, as residents, you likely know already what is going on in the building. If you feel comfortable enough that you're buying within the same building and that you've been paying enough attention and you trust your co-op board, that's the only scenario that I would say it's worth doing. The other time was a very seasoned buyer and that person wanted this apartment so badly because of the size. And they said, we're going to live there for 15 years. If there's an assessment coming up, who cares? Right. You know, they're prepared to eat the cost because it was a scenario that we didn't think we'd find something else like it. They're prepared to take on that risk. And that person, he was actually a former co-op board member in his old co-op. And he said, you know, I can't imagine there being anything coming up in this building. That would shock me. So he was fine with signing without right. that. We'd be signed that contract in 36 hours. Wow. Amazing. Um, I'm finding that thanks to management, managing agents, management companies, the due diligence is typically taking two weeks now, yeah, whereas I mean, three years ago was a week. That's what people don't understand is we really don't have control over the management companies. You know, they're understaffed. And then we just dealt with the holidays. You know, everyone's been taking off. Their kids have been off from school. People are going on vacation. It's something where the deal I mentioned being in a bidding war on Monday, we didn't have time to get a questionnaire back from management. And they said we'd have to wait until this week. So it was something where my clients weren't prepared to take on the risk. Smart. And I agreed. I said, we'll find something better. And there's always something better out there, I believe. Well, that's, that's the problem with living in New York. That's the problem with jobs. That's the problem with apartments. That's the problem with dating. If you have, if you're inclined to FOMO, you are always, always going to miss out because there's always going to be someone better looking, someone, something bigger, something nicer, Someone richer. Just how long do you how long do you need to wait? Yeah, right. Forever. Well, that's the other or thing too. Just find you know, the thing. Uh, we, and, we're pretty much matchmakers in our business. We match the right properties with the right clients. So I believe it's something where it's our job to say, okay, let's walk away from that property, but let me then send you what your next right property is, and that's where I hope you trust me enough to say, okay, that may not on paper look right, but if he's saying it's right, let's go and see it. I'll go see it. You should. You convince me. Yeah. It's in <laughs> Um 
Well, I think we've done a pretty good job here of rounding it out. I think so. Covered a lot today. Covered a lot of ground. Yeah. There's no need to get boring about it, right? So we're not good at being boring. Indeed. We didn't insult anyone today. Well, maybe a little bit. To the fossils out there, Jeff. To the fossils. May they rest in peace. So thanks for tuning in to City Views with Jed and John. I'm Jed Lewin. John A. Tretter. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one.